Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and my guest this week is a campaigner, a fundraiser, an environmentalist, he's a TEDx speaker, a surfer. His organization has really helped to get a lot of the sewage out of our oceans, and now he's focusing, his organization is focusing on plastics. He calls himself an amphibian activist, and he's my only guest today who has, perhaps not personally, received a wedding gift from royalty, <laughs> from Harry and Meghan. He is the chief executive of the charity Surface Against Sewage. Hugo Tago, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was a very generous opening there. <laughs> Do you want to touch briefly on the gift from Harry and Meghan so we don't get people wandering? And... Well, well, yeah, I mean, really, their gift to us was to shine the global spotlight of the wedding day on the work of Surface Against Sewage and particularly on our work around plastic pollution. Mm. And I was thrilled the day I received the call from their office to say that we had been selected one of just seven charities Amazing. around the world to be selected. And of course, the impact of those things, you don't realise the sort of magnitude at the beginning, but truly the volume of people that we reached around the world, over a billion people in just the first few weeks of promotion around it. Wow. Yeah, wow. What we were doing, all engaged with what we were doing to protect oceans and beaches for people to use and for people to interact with. And that's, that was amazing. And then, I mean, the gift to me personally was being able to sort of be there on the day, on this beautiful May day, the grounds of Windsor Castle couldn't have been more perfect. And to be there talking about the work that I'm so passionate about on this huge global event was a, a real honour. I was really sort of moved by the whole sort of thing. And they're a big, cool couple. And mm-hmm. to have Horseman meant a lot to Surface Against Sewage. Yeah, I think actually, not to get too distracted by this, but as a couple, I think they're going to do a lot of good in the world. They don't have the pressures that Kate and William have. I think they can just go and do some really good things using their leverage and their fame their celebrity status so yeah that's cool well congratulations on that thank you thank you one of the reasons i asked you to be on the show hugo because it's not an obvious you know we look at health fitness and well-being but i think the work you do is a very key and crucial part of well-being we have a a principle called heartfulness that we teach people and it's around contribution it's doing something for other people it's around gratitude it's also about reconnecting with things that you yourself used to enjoy so a lot of people i work with are 40s upwards, the convergent pressures of work and home have squeezed out any time they've got for themselves and their health and their well-being. Yeah. They love reading or going to the theatre or kicking a ball about. They just don't have time yeah. to do that anymore. And another part of heartfulness, I think, is living truthfully and considerately. And I do think that's really important to our listeners. So, and I know a lot of people are connecting with the Plastic Freedom yeah. campaign that you're running. So I wanted to get you on the show. But before we talk about the work you do as an organisation, what's your purpose in life? What drives you? What are your values? Well, the environment has been massively, massively important to me. And I've always been fascinated by the natural world around me. Since I was a small boy, turning over any stone, looking for seashells, collecting anything I could find uh, along the, the tideline. In London, where I grew up, you know, looking along the banks of the Thames for all of the sorts of things that had washed up with my dad, mudlarking with my brothers, Tom and Theo. 
So the connection with the environment has always been really powerful for me. The excitement of the things I see around me. I mean, to this day, I can be sort of rendered right back to those childhood days. If I see a, a fish that, that is exciting, if I see something amazing in the water, I was in France last week and I saw three ocean sunfish and two tuna fish when I was out on a boat and it was really amazing. And that is something that really drives me. I also love sport and being healthy and active. I surf, I ride my bike, I swim, and those things really, really motivate me. And being something for me around SAS, and there's been a, you know, as it happens in people's lives, there's sort of a divergence of interests as we hit sort of adolescence and we see lots of different things and then we find our true self again. And surface against sewage for me is really that true sentence. It's about, it really is about an that's really the intersect of people and planet. It's about people interacting sustainably with their planet. It's about people using these spaces that are good for their body, they're good for their mind, they're good for their soul, these blue spaces, these coastal spaces. They're often spaces that people really love and have a deep affinity with that are drivers for community. And so I'm really passionate about the environment, but I'm also really passionate about people. I'm passionate about giving people opportunities to work with us, to volunteer with us, to be part of our network, because truly we're stronger together. So for me, this is a sort of a great privilege to do what I do. It harks right back to my love for the nature, but also love for people. I'm a people person. Oh, I love it. And I think for a lot of people, you're fortunate. Well, not not so fortunate. I mean, you crafted a career that, where the values of your organisation match yours. Yeah. And for many people listening, and for me, several years ago, in my previous career, that absolutely isn't the case. Yeah. Their values do not in any way match the purpose of their organisation. The organisation doesn't know what its purpose is. It's simply, well, yeah. make money, make money. Yeah. So to be able to connect those two things, I think, is quite extraordinary. I know that you did some work for Sarah Brown and you've worked for other organisations before, but have they predominantly been in the charitable sector? I've been in the, the charity sector for 20 plus years. I've had the you know, great good fortune. I worked with Sarah Brown on her children's charity, which was previously called Piggy Bank Kids. It's called Their World Now, which provides opportunities for young people. It looks particularly as well at neonatal research to save the lives of, of prematurely born babies and babies that are, have more challenges at the beginning of their lives. And I cut my teeth with Sarah Brown in many ways. Um, I learned a lot of the things that I implement today um, working with her, a truly inspirational character who has done a lot of good for this world, selfless, somebody who has a real gift with people and um, with the issues that she works on. So, you know, I've certainly tried to transpose some of that with what I do here at Surface Against Sewage. I've worked on a number of sort of really big issues. I worked around the sort of big climate moments in 2007 with the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition, which was an exciting time on the climate issue. And I note that at the moment we're at another really pivotal moment on climate too, which is, you know, climate change is one of the big threats to our oceans and it's something that I'm engaged with here mm. as well. So I've been fortunate enough to work with lots of amazing people throughout my career by design and also by default. You know, before we started our reporting, we were talking about some of my childhood heroes, you know, which mm. did David Attenborough, Charles Darwin, the Beatles at that time. But David Attenborough was really the man, you know, he was the inspiration and, you know, it was before, of course, all of this Blue Planet 2 stuff and the, the sort of the level that, that his recognition's at, but Life on Earth, the Living Planet, all of those programs, I mm. sort of huddle around the TV and watch. And 
you know, it was with great pride and emotion that I met him earlier this year at the Natural History Museum when we had a big campaign win around deposit return systems and I was there yeah. with lots of people. And, and, you know, you sort of almost rendered speechless meeting somebody like that, perhaps, mm. in my opinion, the most trusted voice in the country. Mm. Above and beyond any business leader, above and beyond any politician, above and beyond anyone that I've had the fortune to meet in the course of my career here. And really did render me speechless to to chat to him. I started with the old story of telling him the story of his inspiration for me and watching the TV and, and all of those programs, but he must hear that with every conversation that he has. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. yeah. I just touched briefly on what we were talking before we went online about you used to collect all the shells. It's in your TEDx talk, which we'll also link yeah. to, which I've watched. Just to tell us, you know, the first love of interacting with the environment came from collecting shells and stones and everything that you could. Yeah. Just cover that briefly. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I really was. I had this, you know, I had a mad passion for everything that was nature around me. And I had my room divided up into sort of sections. So I had sort of geology. I had sort of bird, broken bird eggs. I never collected live ones, of course, deeply, deeply bad to do that. You know, seashells, all sorts of things that I'd find all labelled up in English and Latin. <laughs> books everything really neatly in its place i had my collection of i had chameleons and geckos and all sorts of in my room but you know that, that excitement of finding something whether it was living or dead you know i'd you know i'd scour the sort of the, the in the countryside around you know country you know houses that we might go away on holiday in you know i remember finding scorpions and slow worms and vipers and lizards and that's that's what i did and then all of the sort of shells you know particularly on the seashore you know you know filling up my rubber dinghy with everything I could find and and then ticking it off in my book you know that was that was a powerful experience for me and really formative I suppose you know that has you know my life now is very much focused on protecting that environment and so yeah you know that probably sort of laid the foundation for where I am today. Well, indeed. And let's talk about where you are today. So you're the Chief Executive of Surfers Against Sewage, which did some really powerful work, as the name suggests, around sewage. But whilst that problem isn't sorted out, we've made a lot of progress on that. And you talk a little bit about the purpose of the organisation. You know, it's an organisation, you know, I've been running it for over a decade now, but it's been going for some 30 years. And I, I first got involved at the very beginning. You know, as a young surfer, as an environmentalist, I was really interested by this campaign movement coming out of the sort of surfing sector inspired me and I took part in a surf competition in Polzeth in North Cornwall where I you know I thought I was a good good surfer I'd come back from living for a little while in France and I took part and I got through a couple of heats and was really proud of that and I met some of the original members sort of family members and sort of got involved as a member and activist and of course, they were focused on the sewage issue, the chronic sewage issue at the time. They were a single issue pressure group dedicated to that. And they did some great campaigning, which really sort of opened eyes and ears. And it, it sort of correlated, you know, that campaigning came about in line with new European legislation, which was a really powerful driver for the water companies to take action. <laughs> so SAS was a great catalyst to, to make the public aware. And the legislation that came in was the, the framework which meant that the water companies have invested between 1990 and the 2004 billions of pounds worth of investment in the sewage infrastructure, which took beaches from what would have been a sort of a pass rate of about 27% in 1990 on the 
basic, you know, EU standards, bathing water standards, to now almost 100% of our beaches passed wow. the, the minimum standards. So a really big success story of the convergence of campaigning, legislation, media profile, all of those things. And then, you know, the organisation went through rockier times in the sort of 2000s, um, early 2000s, sort of lost its way. The name is, of course, limiting in some ways. It's, you know, it's a very esoteric. It feels very exclusive in some ways in terms of engaging the wider public. Mm. It's quite negative in some ways, you know, against and sewage are words which are, are challenging for some people. But I came in with my experience to this organisation that was really wavering. It was about to be wound up by the the trustees at the time it wasn't actually even a charity until I took over and I said look we can do something with this and I took over the organization was physically and metaphorically a squat it was in pretty bad state of affairs and there's nothing like that opportunity because if you take over something that's actually going to times it's easier to make your mark in some way so I went coming in three members of staff to now I've got 25 members of staff i had regional reps we've got 160 regional reps around the country we might perhaps 500 volunteers maybe a thousand volunteers a year in that first year that i joined we now work with 75,000 volunteers nationwide we've got our own parliamentary group in westminster the only marine conservation focused one that brings together all sorts of businesses and other ngos and influencers to create the change we want to see and you know my passion really is is to go look we can do this really well i'm I'm embedded in the charity sector, but one of the things that I believe in really passionately, which is not often talked about in the charity sector, is, is making sure we build really brilliant products like a business would to get people engaged. Mm-hmm. If we put that level of detail, passion, attention, investment into the things we do, we're going to take people on a journey with us. If we cut too many yeah. corners, if we don't invest in the right way, we won't take people on a journey. It will be ever-decreasing circles until the end. I, I see that we've got a long, a long future campaigning, particularly given we've got Brexit coming up. Yeah. Whether we voted for it or against it is not the issue. Instead, it is happening March the 29th next year. And at that stage, we suddenly lose the governance of being held to account by the rest of Europe. Mm-hmm. And our environment is under serious threat from that move. And so we need to mobilise the grassroots to make sure that our beaches, our countryside, our parks are all protected for people to use for a healthy, happy, sustainable lifestyle. And that's where we yeah. we can play a big role. Yeah. I mean, what you've just said there about running it as a business, it really rings true for me. It's another charity I know that does that well and only one other, and that's a charity called Charity Water. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I know yeah. That, yeah. And they didn't believe that a charity needed to have good branding, strong branding in the same way that any other business would. Yeah. It sounds like, I know your products, I know your brand, and, and SAS definitely embodies that. Yeah. Let's talk about plastic-free communities, because am I right in thinking that plastic is now the big issue? Yeah, plastic is the big issue, and it has been, you know, I mean, the Blue Planet did a lot for that. Mm. You know, David Attenborough's focus on it, you know, a year and a half ago, but it was building. So, you know, there have been a lot of, NGOs, including ourselves, working around this for a decade or more. Those NGOs were primed and ready for the public response to the Blue Planet. Mm-hmm. So we were there. We had plastic-free communities model, which I'll talk about shortly, ready to go. We were working on beach clean. So we were naturally a go-to for the media and the public interest around it. A lot of the plastics now, plastic is a really interesting sort of substance, and I talk about it in some of my talks. It's 
It's an amazing material. No one can doubt that. It's been incredible. It's light and flexible. It's almost indestructible. It's a really great, great material for us to do lots of things with. And so it's helped us, you know, travel the world. It helps us all live our daily lives in the modern way that we're living our lives, whether it's, you know, flying to the other side of the world, being on Skype or using our computers, whatever it is, plastic is often involved. You know, plastic has become this great because of the same reasons it's so useful, because it's light and colourful and almost indestructible. It has reached every part of the planet because it, it mm. is taken by winds and tides and currents in various ways to the tallest mountains, to the deepest seas. It gets everywhere. Could you just talk briefly about the Lego treasure hunt that you mentioned in yeah. your TEDx talk? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's a great example. You know, 10, 15 years ago, a big container of Lego was lost off Cornwall, you know, millions probably or hundreds of thousands of pieces within it. And now to this day, these pieces wash up along the north coast of Cornwall, particularly Watergate Bay, Perrinpore, Port Town. And, and kids now look for particular pieces. I think the octopus is particularly popular. Little Lego flippers are particularly popular, both ironically so. Mm. So where I used to collect shells as a kid, a lot of kids are really motivated by the plastic adventure they have on the tideline these days, which is, which is like a sad truth, really. Yeah. Part of the desensitisation people have had around seeing plastics in the environment. But this is the other really interesting sort of final point on the beauty of plastic. The plastic pollution crisis has potentially been the great environmental unifier around communities. Yeah. People can see it. What they see on their beaches or in their parks is pretty much the same as the, the brand profile they see on their high street. It's something that's tangible. They can take action on. They can take individual actions. They can call for businesses to take action. There's some clear pathways for government to intervene on it. So actually, it's been a really strong unifier. Jack used to talk about, another hero, used to talk about the great unifying effect of the ocean and beaches. And actually, plastics are doing the same in terms of the environmental movement. Now, the climate lobby don't have that. You know, people campaigning on carbon dioxide or air pollution or toxic chemicals don't have that. This is the one thing that's really brought people together. And plastic's just the beginning of the journey. Actually, it's really their gateway issue and substance, which can mean that they can take wider environmental actions. It makes them think about resource consumption. It makes them think about climate change. It makes them think about, you know, whether or not they want to consume in the same way. So actually... There is a silver lining to the public suddenly becoming aware to, about the finite nature of uh, the planet's capacity and our need to take action and start to limit what we're doing as a species on planet Earth so we can live here happily into the future. Yeah. So last year I had a difficult period financially. Yeah. And it made me look at what I was, what was I spending money on, but not just from a financial perspective. It suddenly opened my eyes. It was actually a really good thing that it happened. So I recovered from it. Yeah. And I started to look at everything I was consuming, you know, glug, 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 toss, yeah. coffee cup, and probably not tossed into a recycle bin. Wouldn't stir, 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 gone, yeah. you know, yeah. just how much stuff I was consuming. Yeah. As part of a cost rationalisation, but also I thought, well, let's, you know, so I bought a keep cup, right, sorted. Yeah. One keep cup now, you know, for, for all my coffees. And then I just took it further and further and, and, and really opened my eyes to how yeah. I can live more considerately. And I'm semi-obsessed with recycling and, yeah. and not wasting, you know. I, yeah. I was on a flight recently and a 
and a low-cost airline, and they're pushing all these milkers and yeah. cut a cup just to have a napkin in, just hand me a napkin, and I'm giving it all back, and they're looking at me like, you know, yeah. it's a bit odd. Yeah. No, really. Because when you come to collect it, it'll be in the bin. Yeah. And I've not touched it. Have it all back. So small stuff like that. A quote I heard from you, The I think it was in another podcast episode, actually, that you've done. The convenience of today is selling off the future. Yeah. And that really resonated with me and thought it would be useful for this conversation. But I really buy into that. You know, we've got to yeah. stop consuming so much stuff. Well, we are trading the future for the convenience of today. I mean, yeah. we're in massive debt to the future with what we're doing at the moment, you know, on all sorts of elements of consumption. You know, I think that there are ways, you know, there are ways that we can start, as I said, there's lots of individual actions. And, you know, we created this this framework with plastic-free communities to bring individual actions to mm. local authority actions to say, look, how do we reduce our collective plastic footprint? How do we start on this journey? And that's been that's been really powerful. We've got about 400 communities that represent about 30 million people all sort of working towards that status. With us. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. no plastic. It means there's less plastic and then it means that there will be even less plastic in the future. And so that, that's already good. You know, and then we're taking the voice of those people to government and say, look, we need to intervene. You know, we need legislation to drive this. It won't all just happen mm-hmm. by individual choices. It won't just happen by voluntary decisions by businesses. So we need legislation. When we've seen the success of it, Surface Against Sewage campaigned long and hard with other NGOs for the plastic bag charge. Now, a lot of people were quite dismissive at the beginning. Oh, is 5P going to make any difference? You know, people are shopping. There's 100 with their shop or whatever. What's 5P going to do? When in actual fact, it's reduced circulation of plastic bags by 85%. That's 10 million fewer plastic bags since it started. So enormous numbers. You know, we hopefully see the same on bottle deposits. In this country, Mm. we use about 40 million plastic bottles every day. And only just half of those make it into recycling. So the rest end up in the environment, whether that's landfill, whether that's littering. I think about 600,000 get littered every day. So, you know, these are really big numbers. With a bottle deposit system, you collect almost 100% of those plastic bottles to be recycled. It's good for the economy. It's good for the environment. It's good for people. It's good for green jobs. All of the things are are ticked by it. Now, of course... Businesses, you know, the manufacturers don't like it so much. It's more complicated for them as a bit cost for them. But you know what? They're making the profits. Let's see those profits eroded a bit because we can't have those be put before the environment and before the future of our children and friends and family and all of that. Yeah, but the companies that get that are the ones that stand out, particularly for the millennials who have a different view on life, you know, in terms of consumption. But for us as well, for me in my mid-40s, I will buy from brands that are manufacturing their products and recycling their products and their business model is more more considerate and giving back to the environment. I'll vote for my feet and I'll pay more. Not that I should necessarily, but I would. And we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that leadership coming out. You know, we've seen brands like Iceland, you know, committing to a new environmental agenda, deposit return systems, getting rid of plastics from their own products, Mm. you know, other issues on things like palm oil. So, you know, the environmental conscience and action of these businesses really driving their customers now, which is important. So, yeah, I fully. Cool. What can people do? What are some of the quick wins we can get by inspiring some of the people listening to this podcast? What can they go out and do right away? I think... 
you know, we must always be optimistic. I would call myself an optimist. We all have our muckdown moments. We all have our, our challenges. But we've got to be optimistic. And we've got to be optimistic in the face of great challenges at the moment, environmentally, you know, climate change, plastic pollution, all sorts of things. But we can make sure that if we can't control the global agenda, we can control our own personal agenda. We can control what we can how we consume it. We can eat less meat, eat no meat. We can choose different products without any plastic. We can make decisions every day that hopefully will lead us to a more sustainable future. We must also be brave that we might never see in our own lifetimes the full changes we want to see, but we've got to be optimistic that we're pushing towards the future we want to see. So I might never see a a fully plastic-free future where people look back and go, it was ridiculous, there was all that plastic and we never needed it. But I'm definitely going to carry on campaigning on it through my last time of my career. So we've just got to be optimistic and confident that, that we're doing the right thing. And we've always got to try and do the right thing based on the right evidence. So whether you're using your keep card, you're refusing the plastic bag, whether you're saying no to the stuff the airline steward tries to give you, all of those things can count and do count in the big narrative. Sign the petition pressuring brands to get rid of plastics. Support positive legislation from government. Find your connection with your MP. You can make a difference. You can meet your MP. You can make your voice heard. You can write them a letter and say, look, I'm not happy about this. What are you doing about this? And solicit a response. So make sure that you realise your voice as a citizen does count. You know, it, it's collectively that we can do more, but individually we've just got to be confident that our voice is important and it can be part yeah. of the change we want to see. Yeah, and I think there's a book I'd recommend, Lucy Siegel, Turning the Tide on Plastic, which is mm-hmm. a brilliant read. I know you've done work with Lucy. Yeah. Uh, I really, well, I linked it in the show notes. I really recommend reading that for anyone listening in and wants to find out what we can start to do. Yeah. Even simple things like going to a supermarket, just start to open your eyes as to how much plastic you're surrounded by. Yeah. A pepper does not need to be wrapped in plastic, yes. but it is, partly because of its, the journey it's taken. Yeah. All yeah. around the world in some cases, which is nuts. It's not yeah. grass. It's not to keep the fruit clean because we've got Correct, lots of it at yeah. home. The other question I got in from, from someone in our Facebook community is, what can we do to help lobby government on these issues? Well, l- let me take a very specific example. So some of your listeners may be, maybe well, you know, we were the leading voice or one of the leading voices on calling for this deposit return system. The government's committed to it. We're now at a stage where we're dealing with the devil in the detail. So we're going into the design consultation for what it will look like. And there are various models for a deposit return system, some which work very effectively and some which are less effective and actually could not work at all. And so we're going to be campaigning around making sure that the government includes all beverage cans and containers, plastic bottles within their deposit return system design. So people can join us at a beach clean to measure and monitor those bottles. And we're going to be making that evidence available to government and making sure that mm-hmm. we hold them to account on creating the best possible system. We're going to be doing some more campaigning, digital campaigning work around it too. People can sign petitions and take actions and support letters with us. And they can look to other organisations, great organisations like Marine Conservation Society, 38 Degrees, the Campaign to Protect Rural England, all sorts of stakeholders who are working in fields to protect the environment from plastic pollution. So often those organisations will spend a lot of time and resources and investment on creating a really easy user sort of support the journey to engage people with their parliamentarians and legislative process. So keep your eyes on the organisations you like. Hopefully that will always be surface against sewage, but it's not just us. So support those petitions, make your voice count. It really is important that each individual recognises that they're a big part of this journey. 
Yeah, brilliant. Um, your Twitter handle is, I think, at Hugo SAS. That's correct. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And the website, SAS.org? SAS.org.uk. And people yep. can sign up for all sorts of things. And if they want to get involved in our Autumn Beach and River Clean series, we've got about 500 events already registered. And that's taking place between the 20th and the 28th of October. Yeah, brilliant. And I'd urge people to join the organisation as well. You can become a member. Yep. It's some pretty funky products as well. Some yeah. good clothing and various other things. Well, hopefully plastic-free products, you know, refillable. Yeah. Lots of plastic-free T-shirts and things too. So, yeah, take a look. And any way you want to support us, great. And we'd love to hear from any of the listeners. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And just this last question. What's your big vision for your lifetime? I think you've acknowledged that you might not be plastic-free, even assuming you live a long and full life. But where would you love to get to? I I hope already that I've created a modicum of a good legacy. I think that really being a good dad to my son Darwin is an important part personally for me and that I'm trying to create a future. So already I'm really grateful for the journey I've been able to have at SAS. I hope we can do more. I hope we can drive the changes we want to see. But yeah, so sort of personally just really being a good person to the people around me, people that I like. Mm, yeah. yeah. That doesn't sound too easy, but that's pretty important for me. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Hugo, thank you very much. Thank you so much, yeah, and catch up soon. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test and at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39-page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.